0: Hello everyone, welcome to our Saturday broadcast. As usual, we will be answering questions on meditation
1: practice in our tradition and related Buddhist topics. So to get started, as usual, we will take 15 minutes to do silent meditation.
0: It gives us an opportunity, of course, to prepare ourselves and everyone to clear their
1: minds. But it's also an opportunity to collect questions and to organize them. So if you have questions, feel free to post them in the chat at any time.
0: Once you've done that, just join us in silent meditation, and at 15 minutes after the hour, we'll come back and begin to answer whatever questions there are.
2: Hello, more we're back.
0: So we will now begin to answer whatever
1: questions there are. Again, if you have questions, you're welcome to post them in the chat at any time, and our team will organize them. Thank you, Bhante. We do have questions. I am starting to realize meditation is more of practice
3: dedication and willpower than just knowing or reading about it no matter
2: how much i learn until i practice it's no use is this true yes basically that's true at times i need to be stern when giving
3: advice after speaking passionately and sternly i feel like there was hidden anger behind my statements is it possible to be stern without being angry and
2: producing negative karma is it better to not say anything at all
1: well if
0: you're if if the options are be angry or not saying anything at all, then not saying anything at all is a better
1: option. But it is possible to be stern without being angry. mainly takes mindfulness. It's not just anger, you know. Um, Being stern
0: usually involves some sort of ego, like you're trying to control another person. There's an attachment to self as being Um, having a right to control the other person. That's not to say it's always the case. And certainly there are times where it's your duty. You're in a position where that's
1: required. You're a parent or a teacher or that sort of thing. Mostly you just try to do your best. Try to stay mindful and learn. You know, you learn, if you're mindful, you'll learn from the fact that you were angry and you'll evolve and progress and improve.
2: My father is disrespectful of women in general,
3: but acts loving and supportive toward me and my sister Though he enforces traditional gender rules in our household, when we attempt to modernize his perspective, he doesn't change. I find this to be an emotionally draining environment for me.
1: Advice? Well, an environment cannot be emotionally draining, and as and emotions aren't like, of
0: course, like a fluid that can be drained from you. Um, tiresome, of course, you get tired but emotions make you tired. It's not the environment that's the problem, it's the reactions, the judgments, which, I mean, is is easy to say. But you will always, in any situation, not even referring back to the specifics of your situation, but you'll always find it more beneficial, more wholesome, more helpful to... For yourself from the reactivity. It's, I mean, emotions are not some complex thing. Is there's, there's disliking, or there's wanting, or there's liking. It's usually those. There's worry and doubt and fear and all those things, but they're all pretty simple and pretty easily recognizable. So uh, another important part of it is not to make a narrative out of it. Like even the words "emotionally draining" is a bit of a narrative you're you're painting a picture instead of uh, observing what's actually there so try and and rather than describing a situation in broad strokes like this is emotionally draining try and pinpoint what the actual emotions are when you're when you don't like something that's just disliking when you're afraid of something that's just fear when you're frustrated when you're uh, when you want things to be a certain way or even when you like things because Suppose we have an alternative experience that's better and we like it. Well, it's not that um, better situations aren't better. It's that the liking will make it even more triggering when bad things happen. So in order to weather all sorts of
1: situations, you have to be free from the partialities. I mean, you have to be mindful, basically.
2: On the topic of akusala, can bad karma follow the whistleblower?
3: Is there a difference if a whistleblower's intentions come from metta? How does one who is following the dhamma do in this case? Does one accept and allow the abuse as part of karma? How can one help along the way so one can
2: achieve nibbana as quickly as possible?
0: karma is is always based on the
1: state, the quality of the mind, it never has anything to do with the specifics of the act uh, but that that being said, it's not the case where you can then just do anything as long as you um
0: are sure that you don't have bad intentions. The point is without bad state, without unwholesome qualities of mind, there's lots of things that you just wouldn't do. One of those things is get involved as much. So yes, uh, being free from unwholesomeness does mean learning to let go, learning
1: to not cling or not have expectations, to not judge. Even the wholesome and unwholesome in the world is just like weeds. It's just just part of reality. The, The Buddha kind of said, To rise above karma now
0: it's certainly the case where wholesomeness is going to be supportive for the cultivation of clarity of mind and all that but beyond that there is really no meaning to it people who do good things go to heaven people who do bad things go to hell well heaven's a better place to be than hell but it's not an ends in and of itself and so generally speaking
1: the good and the bad don't have as much meaning as we think. It's just a part of the universe, and learning to let go of that and to not try and fix the
0: world or fix anything because is a big part of Buddhism. Because you, you eventually come to the point where you realize, you know, it was just treading water. Really, you can't you can't fix the world. Eventually, the earth and the sun are going to collide. I mean, far before that, life on earth is going to go extinct. So,
1: learning to let go is a big part of that. That doesn't mean that um, calling
0: out bad actions is unwholesome. It just means it often is. And so you really have to be clear that
1: it's your position it's your it's in your it's your place to say something, and it's helpful to say something i mean telling the truth is not in and of itself ever wrong Um but telling the truth, ignoring the fact that the situation
0: is going to cause just more suffering is, is well that's ignorance and delusion so it takes wisdom to know when
1: to say the right thing it's always right to be right it's not always right to make it known that you're right
2: it should be our motivation to meditate i am in a phase of
3: grief right now And I feel I meditate to get over it. But after that, how should I motivate myself to be constant in practice?
0: Well, I think the best motivation is the clarity that it brings. Because when you're not mindful, there's a lot of cloudiness, lack of clarity in the mind. Mind is cloudy, deluded, and of course, subject to lots of greed and anger. So, you don't need any you shouldn't need anything beyond the clarity it's always the best way to look at practice not thinking about what it might bring in the future or waiting for some results from the practice those results are never going to satisfy you they're never going to make you uh, stick to the meditation what really makes you stick to it is appreciating it for itself that as a state of mind it's really far superior than the alternative muddling through life without any kind of like a zombie without without actually
1: being present. Just try and learn to appreciate the what, what the quality of mind is. I mean that takes time to really get get a feel for what it means to be mindful, but not as much time as actually
0: uh, verifying any any results uh, the impact on your life and so on. So try and do your best to just discard what, uh,
1: what, what, it, what it brings. Don't, don't focus on what meditation brings. Focus on it for itself. It's much more sustainable.
0: And of course, if you do that, wow, your meditation
1: will be great and lots and lots of good results will come. Just don't fall into the trap of fixating on those results.
2: If you've done near all you
3: need to do towards nirvana, are you then waiting on God to bring it about,
2: or is it up to you? What? Hmm.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't... Um, I think there's a sort of a fundamental lack of understanding of the words that that you're using in in the context of what we do so i would maybe take a better look at our um our religion our practice our tradition you know read our at home read our how to meditate booklet maybe sign up for the at home course if you want to learn about what we do but i can't really answer your question because it Really doesn't. Um, it doesn't. It, it it belies a lack of
1: understanding of uh, the the basis of everything that we do. So, um,
0: you know, the word nibbana or nirvana is something not not at all that that doesn't at all fit in in your your question in that way. I'll say it that way not something you should really be
2: concerned with either. Can anyone follow the patimokha and don
3: robes to go for alms and live the dhamma? Or is formal ordination and training
1: considered necessary before venturing out in solitude? If you do that, just put on robes and follow the patimokha and go for alms and live the
0: Dhamma, you're actually considered um, a, a fake. You're considered to be pretending to be a monk, pretending to be ordained. And it's considered to be very bad karma. So I 100% would not recommend such a course of action. It's considered to be highly unwholesome. I mean, I think you could ignorantly do it thinking that there was nothing wrong with it um and and as really as long as you're clear that you're not actually a buddhist monk it's probably technically uh not wrong but you have to be clear that you're not following the buddhist religion in in terms of the uh path to donning those robes following the patimokha and going for alms because of course anyone can become a beggar and and go well or, or become homeless and follow whatever rules they want and go for alms, but if you start pretending or assuming that you're somehow the same, then you've skipped a very important step, and that's the actual ordination, which unfortunately is an important part of the
1: uh the, the course you you can't skip that and it's 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 wrong to do so. So yes, formal ordination um, is
0: absolutely 100% uh, necessary and and what's the word, what's better than necessary? I mean, it's uh, essential. You would be considered to be fake and pretending and that's of course very bad to do. But you know, you don't have to do any of that to go out in solitude. You can don, um, I mean, I would recommend donning white robes if you want to follow the Buddhist path. Or maybe gray robes or something like that. Something that's clearly not monastic robes so that everyone's clear that you're not pretending to be a monk.
1: Um, but yeah, you can go ahead and do that. There's no reason, there's no need to ordain. It's just, uh, I mean, it, there's, it's a great
0: thing if you can. and it's. You can have comfort in the fact
1: that you're following something that the Buddha himself laid down. As opposed to just doing it your own way, which, you know, it sounds
0: good on paper, but the the only real issue is anyone who sort of takes their own path and issues the the structured approach is always going to come up against their own partialities and biases and, and delusions. And so if you don't have any of those, which of course it's quite it's quite um, easy to think that you don't, but if somehow, regardless of what you think, you actually don't have any of those problems, then it certainly can be quite wholesome. But unfortunately it's far too common for people to miss their own um, delusions and, and get caught up in them because they don't have the mirror they don't have the uh the the oversight to keep them in line which is uh surprisingly important i mean of course it sounds like it should be important but it's surprising that it's even more important than it might seem And you catch yourself being uh, scolded or criticized and it can be unpleasant to be so to suffer that but ultimately quite rewarding To just have other people and and an organization, an institution that kind of keeps you in line. Often doing things that you wouldn't want to do otherwise. So helping you to overcome ego and uh, conceit and
2: so on. What is the difference between renunciation and non attachment? Which one is the best to practice among the two? I mean there's not they're they're not mutually exclusive, right Renunciation is
0: Renunciation is more of an act, and non-attachment is more of a state of mind, but you can't really have one truly without the other. You can't truly renounce something if you're attached to it. Renunciation comes from non-attachment and also leads to non-attachment depending how you look at it
2: and they're not they're not probably in the same category they're they're different types of thing a part of the non-self teaching is not being in control
3: However, the Buddha also says the wise are the well-controlled. Can you help me reconcile these two teachings?
0: Yeah, because wisdom is controlling. Wisdom is the only thing that controls. Wisdom is the only absolute control that there is. It's the wisdom itself that controls. Wisdom makes it impossible to do the wrong thing. I mean, in the moment that there is wisdom wisdom in one moment isn't going to stop you from doing the wrong thing in a later moment but for us for for whatever extent to whatever extent there is wisdom to that extent it's impossible it's it's controls it prevents
2: it it it, uh, keeps
0: out the possibility keeps away the possibility of doing the wrong thing having having unwholesome states of mind and and moreover there is a sort of super mundane wisdom or ultimate wisdom where one has experienced cessation of suffering
1: that is then um stable and lasting such that
0: it makes it impossible for certain unwholesomeness to arise in the future and eventually any unwholesomeness to arise in the future so it it looks like control but what's actually controlling is the controlling the situation is the wisdom not the will or the the ego the being it's not the being who is controlling There, I mean, the, the being is not a thing that you can come across, but wisdom certainly is something you can come across. And with the arising of
1: wisdom, there eventually comes about the impossibility of certain qualities of mind from arising.
2: In Theravada, are there six
3: or eight types of consciousness? The formless consciousness slash pure awareness, eighth. Has no object it is awareness of awareness
1: if we experience this do we note knowing are there six or eight types of consciousness i don't
0: i'm trying to think what you mean so there's six types of consciousness in terms of the six senses that's a very sort of um core buddhist um enumeration, so there's eye consciousness, ear consciousness, nose consciousness, tongue consciousness, body consciousness, and mind consciousness. So mind consciousness is called mind consciousness because the object that it takes is the mind itself, so it takes a a thought as an object or an idea as an object it's not that's not something mysterious or 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 hard to understand it's it's common anytime you think of something that's called mind consciousness because the object is mental. Uh but that's six. Eight types, it sounds like you're talking about f- when you say formless consciousness, um, but I don't know pure awareness. The eight types of there are eight types of jhana consciousnesses, because there are eight types of jhana, and four of them are formless, and the eighth of the four does still take an object. Its object is neither perception nor non-perception, which is admittedly hard to understand, but it's only because, I mean, it's just, it's actually not that complex. It's just you get to the point where you're kind of
1: um, issuing any object for a kind of a state of
2: having an object, but the object being kind of not—it's—it's—it's
0: it's, it's not nothing, nor not nothing. I mean, it's just a state that you've just kind of almost tied yourself in knots. Um, but there's still an object. Uh, the object is, I think, considered to be meant. I mean, it's formless, so the object would be mental. But it's it's the state of neither perception nor non perception. It's just a weird name, but that's not formal
1: that's not pure awareness. Um there's no such thing as something that a
0: consciousness that has no object. That would not be consciousness. You're conscious of there, there's consciousness of something. Consciousness has a an object, otherwise what does it even mean? I mean, I get that you have the idea of there just being awareness, but that awareness
1: is uh, a thing that has an object. I mean, it has that state of
0: existence as an object. You know, you're aware that you're aware. When you when you become aware that oh, I'm I'm aware, that's uh,
1: awareness of the state of consciousness is awareness of the state of being but yes um i mean that's all really theoretical
0: and not very practical and so the short answer is yes no knowing knowing and that's really good or aware in english we say knowing but it's weird if you think of knowing
1: as like knowing a thing knowing a concept aware aware is probably more um more accurate
0: just say aware, aware, but knowing is fine. It's not like the words are all that important. Just It's not important which words. Just aware, aware, or knowing, knowing
2: is fine. After some time of vipassana,
3: I get very tense, and it seems my practice is not going well. Should I stop meditating when so tense? Should I be more focused on the present
1: situation, like the results? So getting very tense is not a sign that your practice
0: is not going well. Um, though it's common for new meditators to feel like their practice is not going well, practice isn't a thing that can go well or not go well. Again, it's kind of getting into a narrative of results. Like there's there's I'm doing meditation over time. But mindfulness is momentary. It's here and now. So there's nothing, there's no problem. Problems aren't a good way to look at situations. They're not helpful. Uh, Rather than seeing this experience as a problem, try and take tension as the object. Take the disliking of the tension as an object or the stress that leads to the tension as an object, the emotions. Be clear about the four satipatthana and
1: try and use them as a framework for your practice. Uh, But um, the most common reason for thinking that your practice is not going well is a sort of a dissonance with reality
0: uh, that's important in terms of the practice of vipassana because
1: vipassana is to see the nature of reality and the nature of reality unfortunately is is not
2: as not
1: as comfortable as we think meaning the things that we hold on to or
0: Us holding on to things in general, or things in general, are not capable of providing us with the happiness and the the satisfaction that we think. And because of that, as we start to face reality and just be with it without chasing after the illusion of some kind of satisfaction, it starts to become quite unpleasant and i mean how it manifests is the things that you think were going to be stable are not stable and so you find it quite chaotic you'll find it seems like the practice is creating chaos when in fact that chaos is just the nature of your mind and reality it's unpredictable it's there's no pattern there's no rhythm there's nothing you can um you can hold on to like um like a stable platform or even like a wave that you can get in the groove. There's no groove. It's a chaos. And if you're not flexible, you're going to suffer. It's not satisfying. There's nothing you can hold on to and say, okay, let this be my my solace, let this be my refuge. And that's of course quite disconcerting and uncomfortable and and a cause for a lot of reactivity when you get stressed and upset and disappointed. And it's not under your control. So we try to control the mind, we try to control our experience, we try to control the stomach rising and falling, we try to control everything.
1: And our inability to do that is a cause of stress. So it's it's an important...
0: Broadening of your perspective as you start to see that these truths are really ingrained in the nature of reality, and you start to change your perspective. Perspective from trying to find that one thing or something that is going to be your refuge, to being more flexible, to being up to the task of living, to be able to approach life without expectations, without needing a refuge, to be stronger, to be complete
1: to be uh, of clear mind without any need or dependency. So you're probably not really doing anything wrong except when you start to make it into a problem. Don't do that.
0: Try and just be a little more accurate about noting the things that you think are a problem instead of noting everything else. And when the problem arises, think, oh, the meditation's not getting rid of my problems. That's not what vipassana is meant to do. It's meant to change your perspective. That's what it means, to see clearly. So the clarity of mind is going to turn those things that you think are problems into just experiences that have no power over you.
2: How do I handle being in a loop of thinking and unsure in meditation
3: when I'm aware I don't have tangible evidence? elements of buddhism such as rebirth and nirvana i feel it holds me back
1: being in a loop is a sign of non-self
0: that you're not in control you can't get out of the loop though you might want to
1: what you have to do is start to see that being in such a loop is not the problem that you might think it is to be fixed
0: how you handle it is being mindful of it when you're Unsure, just note unsure, unsure, and that's not to make it go away. Note thinking, thinking. Uh, feeling that it holds you back might be associated with some kind of liking, uh, sorry, disliking. So you should note that. It sound, from the sounds of it, there's probably some disliking in there. Make sure you're noting that as well. Um, but note whatever. Maybe there's wanting, wanting, uh, some sort of evidence.
1: No Doubting is maybe a little stronger than unsure if you have doubts, worry, fear, that sort of thing.
2: How do you stop voluntary control of breathing when doing breath meditation?
0: Do you mean involuntary? I'm trying to understand why you would think about stopping voluntary control of breathing. Just voluntary means you're doing it, so don't do it. <laughs> Involuntary is much more of a uh, an issue. It seems to be a problem, right? When you, you can't stop yourself from controlling it, but it's just such a funny thing. I mean, the great thing about it is you're seeing that you're not in control. It's not
1: actual control. If it were actual control, then you could stop it, right? That's the meaning of control, is being able to to being in control, but you're not in control of the controlling. So it's not
0: in fact controlling, it's a stressing or a tension, so you have to note it more accurately. Uh, Note the tension, note the stress, and of course note the emotions surrounding it, wanting, liking, or disliking.
2: Is it okay to do karate and vipassana together?
0: So karate is just movements of the body and body, and all of those movements can be objects of mindfulness. So be clear that when we talk about vipassana, we really mean mindfulness. Vipassana is not something you do. We call it vipassana, but what you're actually doing is mindfulness. So we often call, and, and I really emphasize the importance of calling what we do, satipatthana vipassana. With much more emphasis on the satipatthana side, to be honest, that when you're talking about what we do vipassana is the result of what we do more than what we do okay so if you were to ask it is it okay to do karate and mindfulness together it might make a little more sense to you because can you be mindful when you're doing karate absolutely and any anytime that you're
1: mindful there's the growth of clarity of mind what what does come about in certain things like like let's say tai chi and i'm not really down
0: on tai chi or yoga um, is you you have to be careful of the uh, sensuality of it because there can be a atta- there can arise the attachment the liking and the disliking i'm not saying that it necessarily because because those things can also of course be very neutral and objective but they can also be very calming and you just hold on to the calm and you enjoy it and so on and you're not very mindful
1: so just make sure that you're clear about the uh, the mindfulness
2: what do you think about zen i don't think about it much
1: there is a lot of needless arguments and confrontations and anger in my
3: family Whenever I have to meet someone new, I unintentionally get
2: into a similar argumentative pattern. Can mindfulness help?
1: Absolutely, yes. Try it for yourself. Sounds like you might not have done our
0: at-home course, so why not start? What's stopping you? it a try it's free we don't we're not in in any of this for the money so
1: it's all there for you to try you get to meet once a week but you have to put in the work find the answer for yourself you don't have to trust anybody
0: but i can tell you that we get lots of good good uh, feedback
1: about what people get out of learning how to be mindful and it absolutely can help you to
0: become less argumentative and, and more importantly, less angry. Because argumentative isn't really such a coarse thing. I mean, it's probably not wholesome in the long term, but the worse is the anger. Anger is pretty coarse and bad, and getting angry at people, shouting at them, insulting them, um threatening them that sort of thing and yeah, all the stuff that angrily manipulating and so on bullying that's all
2: bad i have been wishing to be a monk i am also
3: afraid that i will be receiving donations by the lay people and i will owe them please clarify this
0: right so um and this also goes for anybody who who who, for the idea of pretending to be a monk that we were talking about earlier so there are four categories of people who put on the robes who, who sorry who receive um, donations as a buddhist monk the first is the thief someone who is stealing the donations that is the person who is pretending to be a monk when people give them alms thinking that they are a buddhist monk that is stealing that is called that is considered theft i mean it's not in a legal sense theft but in buddhism it is considered again not breaking the first precept much more breaking say the fourth precept but it is uh, a different kind of theft i mean it's, it's probably far worse than breaking the first precept uh sorry second precept not first um The second type of person is someone who is, as you suggest, uh, receiving the alms uh, in debt. And this is the person who has become a monk but has not begun to practice well or isn't practicing well. Someone who isn't working to purify their mind of uh, defilements. That person is taking the alms as a debt that they will karmically have to pay back. The third type of person is someone who is taking it as an inheritance. This is someone who is practicing well, someone who is trying their best to keep the monastic rules and to practice the Buddha's teaching to free themselves from defilements. Such a person is not actually in debt. And for insofar as they are practicing, they are taking it as an inheritance, as someone who is a descendant of the Buddha. And it's an inheritance. They don't deserve it. This is the, 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 the point. The point is that they don't deserve it. Uh, well, let's say they don't deserve it on their own merit, is the point. And they actually do deserve it, but they don't deserve it on their own merit. They deserve it by their station of being a proper Buddhist monk. The fourth type of person who is someone who actually does deserve it on their own merit and doesn't need the Buddha's greatness to allow them to deserve it. And that, of course, is the person who has become enlightened. Someone who has become enlightened deserves the, the alms uh, on, on their own merit and actually is considered to be worthy. But the last two are okay, so
1: the whole point is just make sure you're a good monk and then you will never be in debt. It's an inheritance, because quite often there, people are not giving it to you
0: based on your own merit. They're giving it to you. Uh, they're giving it to the Sangha. They're giving it to, out of their respect for Buddhism.
1: Buddha describes anger as having a honeyed tip or crest and a poison root what is
3: it about anger and other negative mind states that can seem alluring for the mind to grab
1: onto and proliferate hmm. i don't think that's accurate i'm i am do not know that i remember the buddha
0: actually saying such a thing but the things that he said like that are much more relating to greed greed has a honeyed tip and a poisoned root but he wouldn't he, i don't remember that language you might be quoting some text that is outside of what i would consider the actual words of the buddha but um he, the buddha talked about uh poison two kinds of poison there's honeyed poison and then there's uh, bitter poison but greed is if i'm remembering correctly greed is honeyed poison right because it can feel great very good to be greedy to be lustful and desire things. It feels great, right? But so is any addiction. That's why it's addictive. Anger is
1: bitter poison. It's unpleasant, and it's also, of course, just as bad as greed. It's bad karma. So what was the question, actually? What is it about anger and other? Yeah, anger isn't really alluring
0: in the same way that greed is. That's kind of the point. It's why anger is far more uh easy to catch not just in yourself but others everyone hates when others are angry right but when people are greedy it's less yes if they're greedy towards you then that's bad but we often encourage greed in our society right and we appreciate it we love to see other
1: people enjoying themselves uh that sort of thing so why do people people hold on to anger
0: out of um well there's there's different reasons because it can be because of delusion but primarily i would say still because of greed because of uh, attachment you want things to be a certain way they
1: aren't that way and so that leads to anger we don't really like to be angry it's not enjoyable
2: How does mindfulness help with changing bad habits? Well, um,
0: I could tell you. Unfortunately, I have to go. And uh, the reason why I'm going to say it like that is because think I can recommend you to try and do our at-home course and find out, right? It's it's really the kind of question that kind of talked about in the booklet, but it's just so core that it's like saying, how does meditation, how does mindfulness work? Like, how does mindfulness succeed? And it's not that there isn't really an intellectual answer,
1: but I may not need to give it because you can go and try for yourself. If you're able to formulate the habit, the question so
0: perfectly like that, then I think you can find the answer for yourself by practicing. I mean, I really mean that. That's not meant to be a patronizing statement. I really think it's a good question, uh, but it may not be one that really is in need of a intellectual answer. Anyway, I got to go. I have students waiting here at the center. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for your questions. If your question didn't get answered, I see there's a lot, so maybe there's many we didn't get to. Um, please come back and answer it and ask it again in the future. Or you can take the at-home course and you can ask me directly. Have a good week, everyone.
2: Saadu. Saadu.